The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. I'm going to poll all of our employees with disabilities. Which do you prefer being called? Do you like different abilities or people with disabilities? And it was a 50-50 split, which I love though, that they Mm. got to show up and say, and guess what? We can talk about it. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 3. Welcome back. If this is your first time listening, you're in the right place. It's the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a conversation with Nico Kivioha, CEO of NetLed. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with two co-founders, Nona Yehia and Caroline Croft Este, co-founders of a Vertical Harvest. An architect and an entrepreneur, Nona conceptualized and built a Vertical Harvest, the first vertical hydroponic greenhouse in the world. She combined her expertise in behavioral health and experience in training and case management, while Caroline crafted and implemented the innovative Grow Well employee model at Vertical Harvest. In today's episode, we discuss the inspirational work they're doing to bring architectural, economic, and social innovation to communities nationwide. Their mission is to bring meaningful employment to underserved populations and educate communities on how good jobs help differently abled individuals to thrive. This episode is also brought to you by the Vertical Farming Weekly Newsletter. If you haven't already, sign up at verticalfarmingweekly.com to be notified when new episodes go live, as well as a recap of the happenings in the world of vertical farming. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'd love to read yours out next. Okay, let's get into this conversation with Nona and Caroline. So Nona Yahia and Caroline Croft Este, co-founders of Vertical Harvest. Thank you both for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Harry. We're excited to be here. Yes, thanks, Harry. So where are you both in the world as of this recording? We're I'm time stamping this. This is April 2021. It's been quite a year for a lot of people. <laughs> so I'm just always curious where you're at in the world right now. Nona? Well, we're in Jackson Hole. 
I, I can speak for Caroline. We just yeah. did come return both of us together for, after our first business trip after a whole year. Wow. But we are now both where we unexpectedly live, both of us. <laughs> and you said unexpectedly. So yeah. I'll, I'll start with a few. No, no. How did you actually? What, what would be better, I think, and more interesting is the story of how you both met. So who's got the best version of that? No, like is the that best Caroline story. Oh, I was going to have you do it. Like, no, no, no it's a great story. Caroline. No, well, gosh, Nona and I have, uh, we feel like we've been friends our whole lifetime, but it was 2008, 2009. Is that the right timing? It's funny with the pandemic, I feel like it's been the longest year of a decade. So time is expanding. But we met, I, well, see, this is where I'm going to just get into the whole story. So I am a case manager and an independent provider for adults and kids with disabilities in Jackson, Wyoming. And I've been doing that since 1999. And my job is to advocate and provide one-on-one -on -one services at home and then in the community. And around 2008, 2000, yeah, 2007, 2008, Several of my clients I was working with were about to age out of the school system. And when that happens in the world of disability, it's like falling off a cliff because there's really not much employment services, day services. And so I was just doing my normal thing of being very creative and thinking outside of the box of what other kinds of work could I create or come up with for my clients. because. Working at a fast food restaurant, two hours a week wasn't going to cut it. You know, that's not what they wanted to do. Long story short, through an idea of compost pickup, one of the parents gave me a name of a woman named Penny McBride. I cold called her and just said, started talking about this odd, you know, idea of compost and Anyway, she then said, well, we have this, she started talking about a garden and having a greenhouse. And Nona, do you want to intersect here, Nona? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, at the same time, really working in, I think if we all put ourselves back to where we were in 2008, 2009, you know, it was on the tail end of a global recession. And I often say, you know, we like to say at Vertical Harvest that necessity is the mother of invention. And it really does bring people together to think innovatively, as Caroline has always done, and to come together to really focus on solutions. And I'm an architect by trade. I never set out to be a vertical farmer. I know Caroline didn't either. And, you know, but we were two passionate citizens of, you know, a community that we loved very much and that we saw even in one of the most affluent communities that, you know, there were some problems here and access to employment was one of them. I have a brother with developmental disabilities and have grown up being an advocate like Caroline is before I even understood what the word meant, you know, understanding that he had so many gifts to give to the world, probably more than I do, but it, that the world wasn't ready to receive them. So I'd been working with Penny really on focusing, you know, we're all foodies and really focusing on how do we really substantially bolster the local economy here in Jackson Hole. We have a four-month growing season. Um, 
like many communities, urban, you know, centers, which Jackson is not an urban center, but it performs like one, that we import most of our food. And so we wanted to address that. And so we came up with this idea of a greenhouse. But when we met Caroline, we didn't have a site. We didn't have a scale of greenhouse. You know, Jackson also, because of the, you know, amazing presence of the national park 97% of our developable land is already in use and any public mm. or private land is really expensive so we were looking can we put it on top of the grocery store can we <laughs> what can we do you know and so we had talked to a lot of people and that's when caroline found penny and penny said hey you know i talked to this woman caroline she's looking to employ people with developmental and intellectual disabilities. And boom, I was in, I was like, I think that's when I knew this was my future. Mm -hmm. And it really, I think, focused us on being result driven, saying this has to happen. Like when it was just about food, I was like, this is a cool idea. I'm really excited to be a part of it. But when it was about food and futures, something that's so personal to me and to so many people in our country, it really became kind of a a must. It wasn't mm-hmm. a, it wasn't an option anymore. We had to follow through with it. And I think that's what leads to our beautiful friendship and, you know, our ability to we still follow that passion mm-hmm. and that and that knowledge that this is a model you know, that not only can help our community, but others as well. And we're very just excited to be able to kind of steward it to other communities. The way you describe it, it almost sounds like a calling. Sometimes it feels that way, Harry. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. So Caroline, then how does this become what is, you know, eventually leads to, yeah, to vertical harvest? Wow. Well, it took, we opened our doors in 2016. So from 2008 until that time of, you know, just, and I came in in the beginning, but my, the idea of the employment model wasn't going to come until later. So Nona did, I mean, Nona and Penny did a lot of the back end work of getting this dynamic, innovative idea off the ground in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So Nona, do you want to share anything about that before I? Well, you know, I think, like I said, we, none of us set out to be vertical farmers. Slowly after the three of us came together or shortly after the three of us came together, there was an infill piece of property on the south side of our downtown parking garage here in Jackson Hole. The parking garage was built to support the Center for the Arts. Many communities have you know, these albatrosses in their communities. And say, imagine Jackson Hole, we have a brutalist parking garage in the middle of the heart of our downtown. And so the community had left a piece of land over to say, you know, what could, what could happen here? Can it be a dog park? Can it be housing? What can it be? And so they put out a request for proposal. The town councilman that introduced us to the piece of property that was very small, only a tenth of an acre, he's like, ladies, maybe you could put a hoop house up and extend the growing season, you know, by a couple of months and employ a few people. And, you know, we did scratch our head. We really are like, well, you know, what do we do here? It's very unusual to develop anything on this size parcel. And I think that's where, you know, my background as an architect came in and really, you know, understanding that 
architecture can be much more than what it appears in its built form, right? It is at its best a vehicle for change. And in order to do that, you have to push boundaries. And so, you know, we came together and we said, you know, what do we really, what really brings us together? And it was really the idea of impact. We wanted to have as much impact on our community as we possibly could. So we said we wanted to grow as much food as possible. We wanted to employ as many people as possible. We wanted to do both year round. And that's really where the idea to go up came from. It kind of became like, duh. Like, you know, and so now a tenth of an acre, we grow the equivalent of 10 acres worth of food for our community year round and are able to employ all together with our management company and the greenhouse, 50 people, half of which have some sort of physical or intellectual disability. So we feel like, you know, we've made a significant impact on our community. And it has been such a journey, especially since we had no playbook. You know, we were, we are the first and only really vertical greenhouses that stacks three greenhouses on top of one another. We are one of the only farms in this fast growing industry that has a component to it. So we were groundbreaking in many different kind of parallel tracks, all of us, you know, learning trial by fire. And I think that has contributed substantially that kind of beginner's mindset contributed substantially to who we are today. Where were you looking for inspiration at that time? Was there industry events you were attending? Was it all literally like figuring out as you go or what was happening? It was the dawn of, you know, vertical farming. We did what anybody does when you see a new idea, you Google it, you know. And so I saw something that I was very comfortable with, which was, you know, avant-garde renderings of what a vertical farm could be. And it came from a gentleman who's really the godfather of vertical farming, Dixon Depommier, who had yeah. a studio at Columbia University. It's my alma mater. And so Jackson Hole sometimes it can be, it's for an incredibly small place, it can act as a strange crossroads. I was designing a house at the time for the head of immunology at Columbia, and he shared an office with Dixon wow. Depommier. And so he made an introduction. Dixon, when he heard about our plans, was over the moon. If you know Dixon, he has so much energy and love for this topic. And he said to me, and he always, you know, I'll never forget it. He said, you know, if you ladies are able to pull this off at three stories, imagine the learning that could come of this. You could feed Jackson Hole. Can you feed big cities? That's my dream. And I want to share it with you. And, you know, I think what he did was plant the idea that this was a model that could be replicated. So from the beginning, you know, from my perspective, in terms of creating the ecosystem that could grow the plants and Caroline's perspective for growing the people, we always knew from the outset of our work that we wanted to scale and replicate this. And that was thanks to Dixon. And then... Because of Jackson, we were introduced to Danish engineer that was, uh, you know, really the world's foremost hydroponic engineer. And he helped us, you know, take a lot of the experiments that we had been pushing on our own and really bring Mm -hmm. expertise and knowledge. You know, the, the Dutch have been hydroponic farming for generations and really, you know, expertise is the name of the game here. So 
that is the early onset. And then as soon as we kind of got that structure in place, that's when Caroline was able to start to understand Yes. what this farm would look like and what yes. this operation would look like. But we had no idea what it really looked like until we got in there. So Caroline, when you get to this point, I imagine it's hard enough to figure out what an organization like this would look like in a regular industry, but you're also learning the industry at the same time, you're probably trying to figure out what type of employment model would suit like the vision that you had in mind. So can you talk a little bit about what's going on sure. in your mind at this time? So at this time, you know, I had been working with this population for almost two decades. So, you know, my engagement, my passion, my love for what I was doing, and also really seeing that need for advocacy. And, you know, we do such a great job taking care of people with disabilities from zero until 18. And then after that, literally, you are on your own from navigating the social security benefits to employment, to medical services. I mean, across the board, it really goes from care to no care. And if you don't have a good support system or guardians, you're really in another category of yeah, being unsupported. So I think that always is what just grew in my heart. And that was a subconscious kind of drive and desire to do something bigger. And so when we opened our doors in March 2016, I knew I had to make this work for Johnny, for Sean. I just had to. It had nothing to do with how it would look on me, but I had to do it for them. And I I do believe, I mean, it is such a powerful story of how this all came to be in the beginning, that passion, that drive, you know, Nona's drive from being a sister, having a brother with a disability. It was just, it was amazing how that then lined up the right people to come in at the right time to give us the expertise. And so, you know, from that moment on, that first year, it was just us all learning the greenhouse, learning how to put together teams. We had a little bit of training before. We did some training at a local agency with like a hydroponic table and trying to learn about what hydroponics is, are. But it was And really- by the way, we killed everything. <laughs> everything. I mean, when I, talk, <laughs> when I talk about this, it really is truly amazing because there wasn't anything and there was people with disabilities were employed in businesses, but typically it's one person. So there was no other company I knew of that. I mean, there isn't that was truly inclusively employed. So in the first 17 months, some of the plants were dying. We were trying to figure out the whole machine of the greenhouse and all the people that we had employed were thriving. And typically in this world of neurodiversity, if you are on the autism spectrum, say, you would want to be in a workspace that's quiet, that has a a sequential schedule. I couldn't do that in the beginning. You know, it was just everybody all hands on deck. And so I do believe that really natural just push into an experience and something that everybody in there wanted and desired and got an opportunity to have was also that momentum forward. So it it kind of, it took away barriers for all of us. And then what we were able to put together was a great growing system, as well as a model called the Grow Well model, which is our employment model. And that literally naturally developed through those first 17 months. 
Definitely want to hear, we'll come back to Grow Well because I want to hear more about that, Caroline. So Nona, how do you think about, and maybe both of you can answer this, that the team you'll need to build and grow this, knowing that you probably have to hire subject matter experts, and what experience do you draw on to decide who to hire when, how quickly to hire, you know, all these things are fascinating for me as, as an, I'm an entrepreneur as well. So I'm just wondering how you're thinking about, you were thinking about tackling that problem in those early days. Well, it's so funny, Harry, because that was the other community problem. You know, there was the unemployment rate for people with intellectual and disabilities that was quite high in Jackson Hole, which is why Caroline was pursuing the work that she was pursuing. But, you know, I moved from New York City to Jackson Hole in 2003, started an architecture firm here and became a part of this burgeoning local business economy, right? Before that, you know, Jackson was a little sleepy, right? But it was really on its way. But one of the things that the community was struggling with and business owners were struggling with is the fact that people don't come to Jackson Hole to develop careers. They come here to ski, to have a good time, to enjoy the landscape, and they go home. And they go back to, you know, do their internships and after they've back uh, to New York City. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, that was also something that we were putting together saying, okay, well, here's a population that is born and raised in Jackson, who wants to work who really, you know, beyond just entry level work who wants to not have just a job, but really the reward, and you know, the commitment of work. And so can we put these two things together? So that was, you know, the real beauty of I think, Caroline and and our understanding of what that personal understanding of of what you know employee turnover looks like and how you have to start from ground zero all the time you know and and i think to develop a model that was really based on diversity and inclusiveness but that wasn't about you know charity it was about a profitable you know business case so that was really exciting to me the harder part was finding the expertise, right? Because if you were going to import a Dutch grower, that's very expensive or a startup, that's not, you know, we were doing so many things in such a new way. So we started with a great, you know, director of production who really trained the team, you know, trained a team of passionate, unexpected farmers who came in in this very nascent industry and learned alongside, you know, Caroline's clients, how to develop this farm. So in this way, you know, we call ourselves unexpected farmers, you know, it's our hashtag, we're very happy about this. I think what we opened up was, because it's such a new industry, we said, what's the value of bringing the farm back to the urban center? And how can we approach technology in a way that not only you know increases operational efficiency and grows the best head of lettuce, but how can we also increase accessibility to so that anyone can be a farmer? If our mission is to bring back farming to the urban center, which it is. So I think that was something we saw the potential of maybe in our subconscious at the beginning, but now as we're expanding and going to other communities, that is where we differentiate ourselves, where we're focused, you know, where we've developed our management and development company to say, look, we're your resource, but we can treat underserved, underemployed populations 
as vital, you know, contributors to the community who are not, you know, who are contributing the most valuable to commodity to any community is healthy, nutritious food. But it's also a sea change of perception of what these populations are able to do. And they will be our leaders of tomorrow. So I think we saw the potential of being new. Again, I've been thinking so much about the beginner's mindset, what that means. And as an entrepreneur, how that can be really, really productive. And to an extent, obviously, we need some expertise. But now we've been in operation for five years. And frankly, you know, that's longer than a lot of farms. Mm -hmm. And so we've developed a lot of vertical harvest expertise that is scalable and replicable. So it's an interesting question and we continue (laughs) to explore it. (laughs) So Caroline, talk about GrowWell. And was that that program originated because of what you saw or what you were developing with Vertical Harvest? Yeah. You know, I think Nona talking about what brought us together from the people perspective was a population of people that were not being treated equally in their lives, whether it had to do with employment, community access, even personal rights and relationships. So, you know, I knew this the whole time from working with people. I had seen those inequities and just those barriers. And so what developed was the Grow Well model, which tackles professional, it focuses on your profession, and I'll get into that, your personal self, and then your community. And so, you know, even speaking to this now, what we've been able to do through that is empower individuals teaching them about their person, their self. We have various programs that happen, kind of they're weaved throughout the workday, whether it's a DEI program, our wellness program, emotional intelligence. So we're talking about things that aren't typically talked about in a workplace all the time. And we're talking about it with an inclusive, integrated workforce, which is even more mind-blowing. And through that empowerment, we've now been able to develop the community piece, which focuses on being part of a community, whether it's various things. We have some programs we do out in the community together. And again, as Nona said, with this whole sea change of perception, we do that also by being together in the community. But also we're doing education around independence and your financial health. Because again, in the world of disabilities, you've got your social security, you can only make so much, and then you can't work anymore, or you can't get the raise at your job. So we're really intersecting in those areas to build that knowledge for our employees that then can impact their professional lives. Because a lot of times people with disabilities, they either didn't have a job, it was in the back of the house or it was two hours a week. You can't build a career. You can't build a life working two hours a week. And so what we've been able to do is customize the employment for the individual at, in the farm. And we also have, you know, a marketing, we have sales. So it's not just being a farmer. We have employees that do outreach. I've got a few of them working on our diversity, equity, and inclusion program. So that, I mean, we, you can really diversify. So we focus on, and this is across the board, Harry, with all of our employees, where are your skills and abilities? And then where does the business, what are the business's needs? And it's always an equal pairing and one does not proceed the other. So that also, I think, has been just so incredible for the model because 
we're all doing something we love, but that we have maybe a special skill in, which keeps us more motivated. So now everybody gets to have a pathway forward. There are milestones to reach goals to improve in your department if you would like to one day be a manager. And we have two employees with disabilities that are now in management positions. We have employees that have started in one department and have been able to you say, I want to you know, continue in this department and are taking classes now online. So it's just been amazing to see through. And I do believe that focus also on the self-empowerment, being in your community, understanding your community programs has also helped kind of seal that whole professional career life together. The word that comes to mind is groundbreaking <laughs> for some reason. Like it feels like what you're doing is, it would be amazing if, if it was in just a regular industry where they're in like a nine to five like office job, but th that you're in an industry that you you're, you both yourselves are learning at the same time and then trying to figure out how you manage a wide diversity of people with ranging skill sets, ranging developmental needs and challenges, and then trying to figure out where the opportunities are for those people to do something that heretofore probably, you know, people would think that they wouldn't be capable of achieving, you know, a management level mm -hmm. job or something where they can be working and consider this their full-time profession. So I'm just wondering like where that inspiration for you, Caroline, comes from in terms of like something that's your passion and how that, where that was born. Wow. That's a good question. I think it's just me. <laughs> I'm like, and then Nona, I mean, and again, that synergy, like it really, it was this natural force. And, you know, Nona and I always say, this is so much bigger than us, so much bigger than us. And I believe too, the group of people that started this greenhouse, meaning the employees, the team, all of us together and that, and we say diversity a lot, but really, and I was going to say too, we say different abilities and people with disabilities. And I want to explain that this summer, you know, language labels, we're really digging into our DEI. And I thought, you know what, am I picking what it is? I'm going to pull all of our employees with disabilities. Which do you prefer being called? Do you like different abilities or people with disabilities? And it was a 50-50 split. But which I love, though, that they mm. got to show up and say, and guess what? We can yeah. talk about it. We can say the word disability because a lot of people, there's just so much, there's so many different kind of views or perceptions around that. So I just love that story because it was based on what they wanted, not what I thought or somebody else without a disability thought. So I do believe... In my opinion, people that I'm around with neurodiversities, different abilities, there's not much ego. There really isn't at all. So either, you know, one of our my coworkers, he will say exactly how he feels in the moment about what's happening. I've asked him to go to lunch and he's like, no, thank you. So he just shows up authentically as he is all the time. When you have that around you all the time, you have about five or six or seven people in that energy field and the rest are, you know, living the day to day, trying to get this greenhouse going, but having a bad day. It's hard to have a bad day when you're with somebody working next to you who never has a bad day because they see life differently or they don't see the, you know, lower level things that I would fixate on. And so there was this kind of natural healing or just coming together of a workplace. And 
you know, I think that is what then for me, the whole personal self-discovery, I mean, that's just something personally, I love learning about the mind, the, just how we work as humans. And so why not bring it to the table? That's what's been fascinating for me. You know, when you look at what is growth mindset, anybody can have a growth mindset. And so just being able to, yeah. 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 And I mean, when you say anyone can have a growth mindset, but I don't think people normally think about that unless they're around other people who inspire them to be a better version of themselves and to show up differently in the world. And so, you know, maybe knowing I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, obviously meeting, working with someone like Caroline, rising tide lifts all boats, right? Yeah. And so exactly. the energy level is great there. So I'm wondering, you know, what you think about along those same lines, like, can you trace back to where that mindset, that, that view of how things should be, like where that, that seed was first planted for you? Well, I think it's very personal for me. I think it, you know, my brother really taught me, as Caroline was saying, to learn from unexpected places, right? If you take the time, if you slow down, if you pay attention, everybody can teach you something. And there were a lot of friendships that I kind of, you know, cast aside growing up because they didn't see the value of that. I think I became. And like I said, I became an advocate without even understanding what that meant, right? And then I think it's kind of, as Caroline said, it's it's who we are, right? And I, I am an architect through and through. I'll never stop being an architect. And I think one of the things that I really enjoy about this profession is seeing things that or helping people see things that they didn't think were possible before, right? My favorite moment with a client is that when they come in with an expectation of how they want to live, and we really listen, we hear them, and then we're able to even, you know, present to something that they never even expected could exist, you know, and I think once you start down that road, it's pretty addictive to be able to help people see, you know, understand a better environment than what they mm -hmm. expected. And I think that that has driven me in every moment of my career. And with Vertical Harvest, the empowerment of our group is really rewarding. And I mean, ultimately, that's what we're all in it for, right, is that our careers are rewarding and equal what we put into it. And I think you know, at the beginning, it was pretty hard for us here, three women in Wyoming, not farmers, not engineers, you know, I mean, people are looking at us like, what are you doing? But I think that in a big thing that people asked us, they're like, get the farm off the ground, start that, then bring in the employment model. And both Caroline and I just looked at each other and said, that's not what we want to do. And it was hard. It was not for the faint of heart. You know, as you said, Harry, we were innovating on so many different levels. But it's through that magic, through that intersection of systems of food and people, that really the culture of Vertical Harvest was born. And as an entrepreneur, knowing that you can have the best laid plans, but if you don't have the culture to support it, you're not going to go get anywhere. That's by far the most valuable thing you can create. And it's ephemeral, and it's hard for people to understand. But I think that Caroline and I at an inherent level, understand that that's something that we've built that's completely unique to the company, to the brand, and to this amazing moment for the industry, right? What is the value of a farm, a vertical farm? What is the value of the technology that allows us to address sustainability? Can it address other 
opportunities like economic inclusion? Can it address urban redevelopment? Can it address what our civic infrastructure looks like? You know, we're asking the question today, what is critical infrastructure in cities? And we feel that this is a tool to answer that in so many ways. And that, if you start being able to solve multiple problems at once, you know, that's, I think, the best you can imagine for yourself, that you're helping people, you're creating, you're innovating, and you're doing it authentically. And so it's really kind of hard to understand the inception of it. But once you get there's no going back. <laughs> I think authentic is the word. <laughs> no, and you said the ability to help people see things in a way that they haven't hadn't ever seen before. Can you think of who that person was for you? Oh, well, I mean, I have so many architectural heroes. You know, I have so many architectural heroes. I think, well, I would say very specifically, my the architects that I worked with right out of graduate school, Rizuru Momoda, they taught me never to have a preconceived notion of anything, mm. to call it architecture, to it was about landscapes, it was about fields, it was about systems and understanding the holistic picture and how the small, you know, portion of it feeds the whole and vice versa. And that is a lesson that has served me very well. And then I think, and this is, you know, I think a lot of people would say this, my mother who, you know, started as a sociologist, she was working at the Ford Foundation as a speaker, speaking on Middle Eastern women and their potential. And then she had my brother and he was born a preemie. The doctors said that you know, he wasn't going to make it, you know, after the first year. She wouldn't believe that. She went from doctor to doctor to doctor and created a whole box of health words. It was at the dawn of the computer age. And she looked at this box and she said, there has to be a better way to do this. And so at the dawn of the computer age, she created an electronic health record wow. for people you know, with real health issues and mental health issues. And for me, that risk that this is something that was personal to her, she took this into a field that was just on the onset, like of the potential of it. You know, she grew the company and then she sold it. And now she is, you know, she feels like she did good, not only in terms of for her personal story, but for the story of many people. And I think, you know, obviously that's pretty ingrained in my DNA. That's, yeah, that's obvious the more you tell that story. <laughs> I know, I was like, Car Caroline. that's what vertical harvest right there. <laughs> Caroline, same question. Oh, wow. So I would say, who inspires me? Like, who is my person? You know, my dad and my father was a Presbyterian minister, but not in the, he was in the traditional sense. He was a pastor at a very large, large church in North Carolina, but he led his congregation very differently. His sermons were based in stories and just the way that he, he had these huge congregations, knew everybody's name, developed programs within the church that were very innovative, like taking an annual fishing trip to Alaska to talk about Jesus while drinking bourbon and life. Um, so he really, he brought- <laughs> We're he better brought, to turn fish into- uh... <laughs> Totally, totally. I mean, and you know, so he brought, his ministry was bringing people together in bringing real life, I think, to 
this congregation or to these congregations. And, and now that I kind of reflect on it, that's really what it was about. It wasn't about religion. It was about, you know, people. And so life for me has always really been about people. I've always been a caregiver. I've had moments where it's, I've been too much of a caregiver and I'm very cognizant of that line. But I love people. Like I really do. And I love to meet people. I love to connect with people. And my father was the same way. We don't need to connect with them all the time. We can connect one moment and never see them again. And that's great. But it is that connection. And just, you know, his leadership, his ability to bring people together. You know, he passed away a couple, two years ago, was able to see the greenhouse get off the ground. That's great. Thank you for sharing. And the more, you, I mean, the, when you both share your stories, it just feels like it all comes to place. And it just makes sense that you were both destined to meet and destined to work on this project together. It is hard not to pay attention to universal forces and signs when you hear our story. <laughs> you know, it's something I've, I've yeah, never been totally. steeped in, but now, I, you know, when something's wrong, I'm like, okay, well, we'll if we just stop pushing and just see where it, this takes us. And that's where Caroline, you know, said, we do remind ourselves in the hardest times, this project is, is larger than both of us, anybody involved in it, we're just lucky enough to steward it. And I think that is, that has helped us in terms of, you know, this is new and innovation is always hard and change is hard. You know, there is a lot and, and, you know, even as much as, you know, social impact investing and, you know, all of these things that are coming to a forefront today, to have that really, truly, we're hitting so many aspects of it. Sometimes it's hard for people to wrap their heads around and say, and it's still profitable, you know? <laughs> so it's it's interesting. So I'd be remiss if I didn't also bring up the other elephant in the room in this industry and having been through now three seasons of this podcast and noticing that the, the majority of my guests have been, you know, white males, um, I was slowly starting to figure out like, oh, okay, this is something that, you know, as someone who's new to the industry, there needs to be more female representation. And I've been obviously making the concerted effort to have more females and people of color on the on the podcast. But, you know, I'm wondering if you could just speak to that and if it's something that was obvious to you when, as you entered this industry and, and wondering what the, the feedback has been and what you've seen as maybe opportunities to have that not be the case uh, going forward. I'll start with that one if you're okay, Caroline. I yes, please. I I think that if we think back to you know just even listening to Caroline talk, I think we are the business people that we are because we're authentic to our passions and our interests and and our alignments. And part of that is being a woman, right? And so there's a unique perspective that comes from it. I think there's also this, you know, there is a parallel right now being set that, you know, this, the, the fastest growing industry in agriculture, the indoor space, right, is being parallel to the tech boom, right? And I think that that is really exciting and really challenging in the same way. And I think we need authentic people who are not only in it for their own company, but, you know, this is a movement, right? It has to be, right? We have some huge global challenges. The UN has told us that in 30 years, we have some pretty big numbers that we need to address in terms of population growth, in terms of how we farm, how we feed people. And we're the only way, not one organization is going to do it. It has, it has to be a collaborative. And I think 
I don't want to go as far to say that that's something that a woman brings to the table, but I want, but I do think that it's really important to understand. And we have to start talking to each other and we have to start getting different perspectives and learning from different perspectives. It can't just be siloed with one type of way of doing things. And that's what I'm really excited about that Vertical Harvest has been able to accomplish is presenting a different way. We've always taken the hard way around, but you know, this year, alone, the number of conferences that we've been asked to speak at has doubled. You know, uh, we are getting written up in Fast Company and others as world-changing ideas, especially and as and the Today Show in unexpected places. The Today Show. And I think it's because we really have said, yes, this farm is exciting and anyone should invest in this farm in just is what it is. But what other problems can it solve? And so we're saying, what does it mean to co-locate vertical farms with housing, affordable housing? What does it mean for a farm to play a role like a public library or a community center? How do we employ people? How do we feed people? Asking these critical hurdles that are typical of the industry as, you know, how do you approach energy? How do you approach, you know, a monocrop? take those challenges and having a real point of view and saying, if you're a community impact model and you really want to address some of these issues that are just daunting, well, then you have to take those, you know, those challenges and turn them into opportunities. And I don't know if that's a female approach. It's my approach. It's Caroline's approach. It's our team's approach, but it feels unique to the industry right now. Caroline, anything to add there? You know, going, it's the feminine approach. And, you know, I think of the mother, including everybody, holding that space for everybody. And so I do, I mean, Nona, that is what we all have our feminine and masculine parts to us, but really that mindset coming in collectively is what has manifested, I mean, really made this so much bigger today. I mean, even in this last year of how much growth the pandemic, thank you, pandemic, because you showed us one, we can put everybody on Zoom and do things online and manage, not have everybody in the greenhouse and quickly pivot and stay open the whole time. Thank you, Nona, which was really incredible. But secondly, with what is really, what is equity for people? In what ways, whether it is disabilities or people of color, where are these inner like where are these barriers they're everywhere and so even this last year understanding that to this next level of again our employees and their benefits um that's been a big thing for me i'm like how can somebody with a disability get ahead if they count on their social security but they can't make more than $2000 a month it keeps everybody in poverty and then a poverty mindset and no desire to move forward so again as This last year, that's brewing, and we now have these amazing opportunities, like Nona said, with housing, with transportation, revitalizing communities, and not only empowering people because they have a job, they have an opportunity to grow, and then it's on them. 
And so, I mean, that also switches that kind of charitable or welfare system. You know, we empower our employees by giving them the tools to be the best they can be in their professional life and their personal life. And then we support each other, but it's up to yourself to move the needle forward. And I think that's going to be a solution for all the injustices that we have in this country. So when I hear Caroline talking, I think what we really hold in common is this idea of nurturing people into roles. Maybe, you know, and it's back to your hiring question. And I think that's what we've learned is that you can take a chance on people. And if you do, you will be rewarded for most of the time if you have the right resources and tools. And if that's the mission, you know, if that's the mission, if you're going, you know, to develop, you know, a farm with engineers and you know, and really develop a, the best growing system that there is, that's a different mission. But for us, we're a community impact model. And our mission is to use this farm to to have as much impact on the community as we possibly can. And we believe that the need for this kind of farming is big enough to accommodate both. Yeah. And that's not to say there's not a place for heart-centered engineers. So if you're out there and listening. <laughs> well, no. And I want, I mean, yes, there's a engineers lot. Engineers are my best friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, no, no, no. I'm saying that there's room in our company for all, yeah. you know, for both, as well as in the industry. I sure. think a lot of people sometimes don't see those two worlds mixing together, but there is that Venn diagram always of like, you know, the strong brain, strong heart, and then occasionally you find the combination of the two. And that's that's really powerful when that happens. Well, and I think one of the most exciting thing that we've realized in developing these new farms, which are quite a bit bigger than what we have here in Jackson, is that we're bringing on automation and engineering and innovation in both to be able to empower people to a greater level. So you're not just doing the same thing over and over, but that you can actually do more meaningful things in the community. You know, it doesn't always, I mean, in the business, it doesn't always have to be that, you know, the person on the line is is putting the lids on the salad, you know, on the, <laughs> the salad bin. So it's it's how do you use again? It's how do you approach technology, engineering, and automation to further enhance your mission? And I think that's a really exciting place to be. So much to cover. <laughs> the time has flown by, and it's funny because. I do for the regular listener, it sounds like a broken record because I never know where these conversations are going to go. And I'm just always pleasantly surprised when I just like keep peeling back the onion of my own <laughs> curiosity about learning. Like, how did you end yeah. up here? Like, how did you guys meet? And I think sometimes those stories are just so much more interesting because, you know, we can talk about leafy greens forever, but <laughs> I don't think it gets to the core of like why it is you both do what you do. So, but uh, just to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about what you're excited about of vertical harvest, Nona, like what, if you could just give an overview of what you're currently working on and, and what's got you excited for the future. Sure. So much. Thank you, Harry. And I really appreciated this conversation. It's fun, Caroline, and I don't get a chance to do this with each other very often. You know, we just got back from Westbrook, Maine, which is right outside of Portland, which will be our first two scale real proof of concept for the model. You know, Jackson Hole has really been our incubator for both growing food and futures. And everything that we're doing now is based on that knowledge has been incredibly valuable. So we have a plan starting with Maine to build 10 greenhouses, you know, the minimum of 10 
in the next five years. Of course, the demand for these greenhouses is, is much higher than that. But we know we need to hit these first ones out of the park. Right. And so each one of them is really rooted in urban redevelopment. Each one is co-located with housing and other forms of urban infrastructure, such as parking, as we were born here in Jackson. But, you know, we're on the heels of Maine will be Philadelphia, where we are working with a black and brown developer, a TPP Capital, to bring urban agriculture to what they're conceiving of as a wellness neighborhood and what it means to bring health to underserved communities. We're working on a project in South Side of Chicago that is farm in an affordable housing development. That was a partnership with National Affordable Housing Trust, Mercy Housing, and Fannie Mae. And then, you know, the list goes on. And what has been exciting is that the model that we're creating in Maine urban municipality you know leadership has been saying look we have a surface parking lot we don't know what we want to develop we want to bring development to our town can you replicate what you've done in Maine so we've put together a team that we hope can take that model and quickly replicate it responsibly across we do believe it's a national model and we're putting all of our efforts in expanding so It is a lot and it is very exciting, but it's challenging. Of course, it's all, you know, expansion always is, but we have a great team. I mean, Caroline and I are, you know, you're scratching the surface with the team. I mean, you're only as good as your team. And I think, again, back to this idea of culture that, you know, everybody who works at Vertical Harvest has, I think, that engineering brain and that heart brain, you know, and is guided by both. And I'm glad you brought that up, Perry, because I think that's something that I'll use. It is very much who we are. Yeah. Caroline, I'm wondering, as you think about all this growth and obviously maintaining mm-hmm. what you've built in Jackson like and the Grow Well model, how do you think about that from a scaling perspective? Well, I mean, what we are doing at Vertical Harvest has the potential to change so many lives and not in the warm and fuzzy feeling way, but it's a solution for a history of inequities and no opportunities and keeping people victimized. And so that blows my mind. Okay. That just takes me, it blows me away when I think about how big this could be for our country, right? I'm really excited because through the last few years and developing the programs, trialing them, I have metrics. We have, I've been able to say these are the core programs for Grow Well that truly knit together this culture and this foundation. So when we go to Maine, they will have those core programs to grow their own culture based on these dynamics. So that's really exciting. well, and I think Caroline hit on a key point that I really want to drive home. You know, we put together a social impact report working with a group called Social Finance, and I think we hit, you know, nine of the UN sustainability goals. So we've created an international metric that will be, you know, developing through a live dashboard that really says here is 
what we're doing on in the business level and side by side, here's what we're doing with the social impact. And I think that what, you know, we've gotten, we've heard a lot about ESG and steam right now and, you know, and then, and because of COVID and prior to COVID, of course, it's really what people are focusing on. And what we hear most is a business is either focused on the environmental or the social, but it's really hard to put them together. And vertical harvest does that. And I think that Caroline's real, you know, obviously her energy and her passion, you could feel it probably through the airwaves, right? You know, know who Caroline is. But what's so critical is that, again, back to that engineering brain, we have the metrics and the milestones in order to create a system that is replicable and scalable as we go across the country. And we are starting to have confidence in that as it plays out and to really and to bring in expertise and strategic partnerships with all of the organizations on the ground to make sure that we're not reinventing the wheel, but all we're doing is supplementing the services and the holistic health services, the employment services that are on the ground. So we're not a company that comes in and says, oh, here we are, we're Vertical Harvest, we here, look at all the good that we do, but how can we tap into what you do and amplify it, enhance it, and really be part of this community network that you've already developed? And I think that's a critical difference in the way that we're operating in terms of, or how a business comes in and starts you know, working in a community. It's really place-centric and people-centric. It seems like you both have like such complementary skill sets and you work well with each other. And, you know, as we mentioned or alluded to earlier, like it was in the stars for you both to meet. <laughs> I'm just wondering who's Thelma and who's Louise. Cause you're, you're both <laughs> <laughs> we have to figure that one out. We're just not going to drive off a cliff. Which one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Definitely, we'll keep definitely going. Powerful, two powerful women doing amazing things. And I'm glad I was able to learn the story myself and just to highlight the story for my audience. So I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time. Yeah, well, we really appreciate you taking the time to find out more about us and really getting to the heart of it and then giving us the opportunity to talk a little bit about the the gears of it as well. Did I see that you were a DJ in your earlier life? Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny. I moved to Jackson kind of kicking and screaming. I know that sounds silly. I just thought I'd live the rest of my life an urban girl. My husband, I moved here for love. He wanted to be in the mountains and he kind of bamboozled me that we'd be here for two years and then we'd go home. But I started falling in love with the community and I realized that anything was possible. And I, I was a DJ for 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I grew up DJing vinyl and turntables. That's why. Awesome. I, <laughs> oh, that's so, awesome. I was a DJ for the community radio station. I had a show called Taste One to No One, which was, I, I can't wait until I have time to do it again. <laughs> what kind of music was it? Well, it was kind of rooted in old school punk rock, you know. The, oh, cool. And then finding bands that were derivative of those bands today. Yeah. So just kind of subtly kind of this juxtaposition. But a lot of times we do just like pure surf rock or just, you know, like have themes. It was so fun. Caroline, what's a a skill or a hobby that uh, most people don't know about? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh, what is it? You know, I am a incredible. I was going to say. 
<laughs> I have a gift. Seriously. Like, I don't, I mean, and it's not every time I go into a consignment store, but it'll be a day where I will just boom, 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 boom. And then I kind of have a different outfit or a different look, a different design each day that just exhibits parts of my personality. So maybe that's, I don't know what that term would be, but. That's a skill. Yeah. She is a creative I, force. Restoring and decorating myself. And it's good to know you both have careers to fall back on if the vertical farming <laughs> thing doesn't take yeah. off as well. Exactly. We remind ourselves of that. <laughs> yes. Yes, we so do. So the website is verticalharvestfarms.com. And where's the best place for folks to connect with you both? Yeah. So I think the website is a great place to do so. And it has all the resources from, you know, our weekly newsletter to our blogs. And I think, and great videos that you can access and learn all about the farm. Well, thanks again too. And then our, yeah, our social media too. That's all. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks again to you both for, for sharing your time and your individual stories and the vertical harvest story. It's, it's been very inspirational. Thank you, Harry. We're so excited for what you do. Thank you, Harry. This has been great. Thanks again to Nona and Caroline for coming on the show and sharing their wonderful story. Always interesting to see how co-founders get together and what motivates them to partner up and the good things that can come out as a result of that. And this was uh, definitely one of those inspiring stories. Thanks to our season three title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out the last E. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash VFP15. And as a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Tune in next week for my conversation with Dave Tennyson, CEO of Cubic Farms. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.